It was March the 19th, 2003. Saddam Hussein and his two sons invited some of their closest friends to a dinner in one of the most exclusive restaurants in Baghdad. As they sat down to eat, they ignored the fact that U.S. troops were gathering across the border in Kuwait. Their meal was abruptly interrupted when U.S. cruise missiles struck the building. They were spared, but it was only the beginning of the end. Today I want us to look at a similar story that also took place in Babylon many years ago. But before I get to our text, I want to give you some information concerning Babylon at the time. At the time, the population of the city was 1.2 million people. It was a hundred mile square. It was surrounded by a wall that protected the city. The wall was 300 feet high and 80 feet wide. The foundation of the wall had dug down 35 feet to ensure that no one would be able to dig underneath the wall and attack the city. The Euphrates River ran through the city, ensuring the people who lived there that they would have a fresh water supply. At the time of our text, they had supplies within the city that would take care of them for a period of 20 years. Archaeologists, in the work that they have done, have unearthed banquet halls that would seat between 5,000 and 10,000 people. The Hanging Gardens were built there by Nebuchadnezzar to honor his wife, one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Nebuchadnezzar ruled there for a period of 45 years. At the time of our text, he had been dead for 25 years. Nabonidus was the fourth king of Babylon. He was also the son-in-law of Nebuchadnezzar. His son was Belshazzar, and they co-reigned between 559 B.C. and 539 B.C. Nabonidus lived the latter years of his life in Saudi Arabia, and Belshazzar reigned from Babylon. At the time of our text, there was another threat against the city of Babylon. At this time, Cyrus the Great had, in, had brought about the armies of the Medes and Persians and had surrounded the city ready to attack. They had already conquered the rest of the land, and now they are ready to invade the city. Belshazzar the king, in the face of this danger hosted a party. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Daniel chapter 5, beginning in verse number 1. At the time of this writing, Daniel was in his 80s. Daniel chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Belshazzar the king held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. When Belshazzar tasted the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem. 
in order that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God, which was in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. They drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. Then the king's face grew pale, and his thoughts alarmed him, and his hip joints went slack, and his knees began knocking together. Now, he sent for Daniel to interpret the dream. If you'll turn to verse number 25, Daniel speaks. Now, this is the inscription that was written out. Mene, Mene, Tekel, Eupharsin. This is the interpretation of the message. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found deficient. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave orders, and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a necklace of gold around his neck and issued a proclamation concerning him that he now had authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. That same night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was slain, so Darius the Mede received the kingdom about the age of 62. Our focus today is going to be on Belshazzar and his response to the surrounding army. First of all, he was weighed in the scales of human opinion and glorified. As one studies about Belshazzar, it becomes obvious that he was a man who had a pride issue, and we can almost understand that. First of all, because he was from the royal family. He was a man of position. He was a man of prestige. He was a man of possessions because all the wealth of the kingdom was available to his disposal. His arrogance made him oblivious to the danger that was before him. And so even though he was surrounded by the enemy, he hosted a party in the face of it, thinking that I am safe, I am secure, I am going to be able to weather this, nothing is going to happen to me. Now, When we read such things and hear such things, whether it was Belshazzar or Saddam Hussein, we think, well, that is strange that someone would react in that way when there is danger lurking about them. And yet we see that throughout history. That is the response of man, even when he faces danger, to deny that danger is there. For instance, during the days of Noah, God told Noah to warn the people about judgment that was to come. And Noah faithfully preached a message about God's judgment. Now listen to what the Bible says in Matthew 24:38. For as in those days which were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. Now, when it says that, it's not saying that they are having a party, but what it is saying is that they were going on with life as usual. 
Even though Noah was warning them about judgment that was to come, the Bible says they were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were doing all the things that they normally did, and they ignored the promise of God's judgment that was before them. As I think of these things, I, I wonder if we are not doing the same thing. Now, folks, it looks to me as I look at the, the world and I watch the news, just as you do, and I see all that is developing around the world today, I am wondering, are these signs that God is, is about to return? Are these signs that judgment is about to come? Is God trying to give us a warning? But by and large, we continue our life as usual, eating and drinking and marrying, giving in marriage, doing all those things while we ignore what may very well be the warning of God. Belshazzar also disdained the things of God. You'll notice in verse number 3. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God, which was in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. He totally disdained the things of God. They took the sacred vessels out of the temple and used them to drink as they praised the idols of gold and silver and wood and bronze. Totally disdained the things of God. Would we be guilty of that? As I, as I think about our own nation today, it seems to me that we profane the name of God rather than honor the name of God. We violate the day of worship for our own pleasures. We ignore God's word and God's warning because we think we can do whatever we wish and there is no consequence to our actions. There's the problem of pride and the reason is because pride is sin. C.S. Lewis called pride the ultimate anti-God state of mind. Now, think about that. Because, see, when we think of those really bad sins, what do you think of? When, when you think of those sins that are really bad, what do they include? Well, the truth is, most of them are fleshly sins, right? This means yes. Isn't that right? And yet, when I read in Proverbs chapter 6, God says, These things I hate. These things I hate. You know what led the list? Pride. God said, these are the sins that I hate. And the one that led the list is pride. You, you see, pride was the sin of Satan. Now, before Satan fell and became Satan, he was Lucifer, which means the shining one or light bearer. So he was an angel. But then he was filled with pride. And he decided that he deserved the worship that belonged to God. And five times in Isaiah chapter 14, he says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. I will exalt my throne above the throne of the Most High God. That was the sin of Satan. 
It was pride wanting what belonged to God. And I believe that pride is sort of the foundational sin of mankind. For instance, when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden and Satan tempted them, how did he tempt them? What did he appeal to? It was pride. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 3, verse number 5, For God knows that in the day you eat from it, this is the forbidden tree, the forbidden fruit, God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. See, that was the temptation. When Satan tempted Eve, he says, if you eat from this, God had forbidden it. But he said, but if you eat from it, you'll be like God. And that's the reason he doesn't want you to do it. God doesn't want you to to eat from this tree because then you will be like him. You will be God. Like He appealed to pride. It was pride that called Belshazzar to think that he could do whatever he wanted and survive the threat. And it is pride, ladies and gentlemen, that causes us to think that we can go through life ignoring God, rejecting God, and there will be no consequence to our actions. We think we can do it because of pride. Pride is condemned. And the Bible says that pride is judged. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse number 5, the writer wrote, Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not be unpunished. Now, God had humbled the grandfather Nebuchadnezzar of Belshazzar. If you look at chapter 4, verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are true and his ways just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Nebuchadnezzar knew what it was to be humble. And now in our story, Belshazzar is also going to be humbled by God. He was weighed on the scales of human opinion and glorified. But then he was weighed on the scales of his own conscience and convicted. Now, there's a confrontation here, and uh, you know this, don't you, that God knows how to get your attention? God knows how to get our attention, and he also knew how to get the attention of Belshazzar. There was a party, verse number 1, Belshazzar the king held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles. He was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. So, this was a large party. There were a thousand nobles there, plus their wives and concubines. So it was a large party. It was an elite party. If you were going to go to a party during the year, this is the one you wanted to attend. I'm sure the paparazzi was there. And the fashion magazines were writing articles about what the women were wearing and all those things. And they had the red carpet. It was the place to be. It was a large elite party. It was a blasphemous party. They took the vessels, the sacred vessels from the temple that were used to worship God. And now then they used those same vessels to worship their idols. So there's a confrontation. Verse number 5. Suddenly. Boy, that happens, doesn't it? I mean, right in the middle of the party, suddenly. The fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. 
Dr. Lightfoot wrote, that divine hand that had written the two tables for a law to his people now writes the doom of Babel and Belshazzar upon the wall. God confronts sin. That has always been true. When we sin, there is a confrontation of sin. During the days of Noah, the Bible says the people sinned. In Genesis 6-5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That is a description of Noah's day, that man was given over to sin. That was the content of his thoughts. He thought about sin. And God confronted Man's sin. He warned him. Noah preached the warning. But then there came the day when the rains began to fall. And God confronts the sins of mankind. Today we have become so comfortable with sin. But please know that it will be confronted. You remember the early days of Monday Night Football, Dandy Don Meredith was one of the announcers on there. A lot of y'all don't know who that is. He was my favorite announcer. I love Dandy Don. But whenever one team would get so far ahead that the game was essentially over, even though there was more time on the clock, Dandy Don would begin singing, Turn out the lights, the party's over. Could it be that God is saying to us, I'm about to turn out the lights? There's confrontation. God confronts sin. And when he does, there is conviction. Belshazzar was physically shaken. Look at verse 6. Then the king's face grew pale. His thoughts alarmed him. His, his hip joints went slack and his knees began knocking together. The strong man is weak in the presence of holy God. I get amused sometimes. People tell me, I mean, you know, you'll be talking to someone. I'll tell you, when I see God, I'm going to tell him so or so. I'm going to ask. No, you're not. <laughs> that, that is, that's such an amusing thought to me. I'm going to tell God. I'm going to ask him why he let this happen or why he didn't do this or why he didn't. You're not going to do any of that. Belshazzar was physically affected in the presence of God. He was mentally disturbed. In verse 6 it says that his thoughts alarmed him. Folks, in the presence of holy God, the unregenerate mind is disturbed. Shakespeare wrote, along with my conscience is hell enough for me. He was spiritually convicted. He realized that he was not right with God. Weighed on the scales of conscience and convicted of his sin as he stood before God. He was weighed on the scales of divine justice and condemned. You know, sometimes we see ourselves as not too bad. You know, I, if I compare myself to Jim, I say, well, I'm a pretty good guy. We compare ourselves to someone else and say, I'm not too bad. You know what? There's coming a day when the only opinion that's going to matter is God's. That's the only opinion that will matter. And there were charges against Belshazzar. Because here's the king standing before the king of kings. And now he's going to give an account. So what were the charges? Well, he said, first of all, you didn't learn from your grandfather. Look over chapter 5, verse number 20. But when his heart was lifted up, 
Now, this is speaking of his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit became so proud that he behaved arrogantly, he was deposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken away from him. He was also driven away from mankind and his heart was made like that of beast. And his dwelling place was with the wild donkeys. Now, this is the king. This is the king. His heart has been made like that of beast. He's eating grass like the donkeys. He was given grass to eat like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he recognized that the Most High God is ruler over the realm of mankind and that he sets over it whomever he wishes. Verse 22, Yet you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your hearts even though you knew all this. You knew this, Belshazzar. You, you, you'd heard the stories about your grandfather. You heard about his judgment. You knew this, but you didn't learn anything. You didn't learn anything from your grandfather's experience. He was guilty of intemperance. He had a party in the face of judgment. He was guilty of idolatry. He desecrated the vessels of the temple to worship his idols. He was guilty of pride in verse number 22, yet you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. You have not humbled your heart, even though you knew this. You are guilty of pride. He did not glorify God, verse number 23. But you've exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven, and, and they have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, have been drinking wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see, hear, or understand, but the God in whose hand are your life, breath, and your ways, you have not glorified. You did not bring glory to God. He was condemned. He lost his kingdom, verse 26. This is the interpretation of the message. Men, a God has numbered your kingdom. Put an end to it. Folks, God can remove everything that you think is precious. Everything you treasure, God can remove. He lost his kingdom. He stood deficient before God in verse 27. Technically, you've been weighed on the scales, found deficient. He was the king. This man was the king. But when he stood before Almighty God, he was deficient. And his judgment was death, verse 30. That same night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was slain. Interesting story in it. Saddam Hussein, his sons, knowing that the United States Army was gathering across the border in Kuwait and gathered to have a meal with his friends. Belshazzar, knowing that his city was surrounded by the Medes-Persian army led by Cyrus the Great, had a party in the face of judgment. My friend, 
you and I will also stand before God. That's truth. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We're all going to stand before God. What's the charge? That we are sinners. The Bible says all have sinned. There is none righteous, no, not one. That we all have fallen short and we're guilty. But here's the good news. And the gospel means good news. Here is the good news. We stand condemned before God, but Jesus took my sins upon Himself. He took your sins upon Himself. And when He went to the cross, He paid for our sins that we might be forgiven. And if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you're walking around with your sin, my friend, the Bible says that Jesus paid for them. And if you're willing to commit your life to Him, if you're willing to put your faith in Him and trust Him as Lord and Savior, that He is willing to forgive your sin. And the Bible says that He will forgive us our sins, though they be like crimson. He will wash them white as snow. But what about believers? Some of you who are believers, but you have sin in your life. You know what the Scripture says? If we confess our sin, and John was writing to Christians, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the good news. That Jesus Christ took our sins upon Himself, that He might give to us eternal life, that He might pardon us, forgive us, if we're willing to trust Him. I would conclude this message today with two thoughts. The first is that judgment is probably a lot closer than we realize. So don't ignore it. We are probably a lot closer to standing before God than we realize. Don't be like Belshazzar. Don't be like Saddam Hussein. Don't be like the people in Noah's day. Don't ignore it. Because grace is available to those who will turn to Jesus Christ. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to commit your life to Jesus Christ as Savior? In just a moment, we're going to give an invitation. We will stand. The choir will sing. The staff is going to be standing here at the front. And if you're willing to say, I want to commit my life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you don't understand all about it. I don't. But in faith, I've committed my life to Christ. You want to do that, someone here would love to pray with you and talk with you. So you stand with me, please, as we pray. And as we pray, you let God speak to your heart. Our gracious Father, we thank you for the blessed grace that is offered us through Jesus. Thank you for taking our sin upon yourself and offering us pardon. Lord, I pray today for those who have never trusted Christ that they might. And Father, I pray for those who are looking for a church home, that they would feel welcome here. Father, for those Christians who need to get things right with you, that they would confess today that they might be forgiven and restored to fellowship. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. If God is speaking to your heart today, would you come to trust Jesus as Savior, to join the church, to dedicate a new year life to Him? As the choir sings, you come. I'll greet you should do.